Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So, just a kind of as an announcement for years to come, you never need an invitation to come to the Friedemann House on New Year's Eve if you'd like to come. We don't invite practically anybody and everybody comes. This is kind of a cool thing. Uh, it's kind of a... It, 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 this, let me tell you how good of a time this is. We had a bachelor party show up. A bachelor party shows up at the Freedom and House on New Year's Eve. I kid you not. That's, that's a rocking good time on uh, New Year's Eve. A bachelor party at our house? We had a little talent show, and it was, it was a lot of fun. The end game, the last thing we did was there was a couple that's getting married today. And uh, it kind of dawned on me as we, we had our hands on them. We were praying for their big day today and their new life together. I think they met each other here a year ago at New Year's Eve. And so I asked, she goes, you know, it was right there. She says, right there. And she was pointing to a place like right here. She says, it was right there where I said, you know, I think the Lord's going to let me find love this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust I find love this year. And bam, bam, there he goes. And they're, they're getting married. So there you go. Uh, you having tr- trouble getting married, you can come to the Freedom House and pray prayers. There's certain places on that floor, apparently, where things happen, all right? So just FYI. But I, I thought that was, that's an interesting thing. She said that, and then every step of the way since that day, they have been looking forward to this day because they've been looking forward to a day beyond this day where the will of the Lord comes alive in their marriage for the glory of God. And I can tell you, that's exactly what they have in mind, is the glory of God through their marriage. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, in fact, so much so that they decided to take discipleship in the home class. They're seminarians. They took discipleship in the home class together uh, and kind of learning how to have a good marriage as well as how to raise a good family. And it's just been real exciting to watch this whole thing flourish. Uh, they are uh, a couple, by the way, out of our uh, daughter church, Foundry. And so we're excited about them. Whole point is this. Once you get a vision for what Jesus wants for your life, it begins to order your life today. What best orders your life today? The past or the future? And I would suggest the thing that orders your life today, the bestest and the mostest, is not your past, but your future. I remember when I was in seminary, sometime, I I don't know, I'd always kind of wanted to be a teacher. Uh, my, my friends were saying, that's just a dumb thing. You need to be a lawyer. You need to be a doctor. Be something. Don't be a teacher. They don't make any money. I remember I was actually, uh, there was, a, there was a, 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 the head cheerleader two years ahead of me in school. Now, two years ahead of me means she was like, wow, she's the one. She is, the, she, that's the pinnacle of womanhood, you know, for a, a young athlete looking up at the head cheerleader. Wow. I remember we were on the steps of Fraser Hall at the University of Kansas. She says, what are you going to be studying, Matt? I just happened to run into her at the University of Kansas. I knew her from Great Bend High School. But there we were on Fraser Hall. What are you going to do with your life, Matt? I said, well, I think that I'm going to be going into education. I'm going to be a teacher. She says, oh, don't do that. If you have to do that, then go into administration. That's where the real money is. And all this time I'm thinking, hey, I don't care about money so much. As I just want to do something that's attracted to me. And what's really attracted to me is that whole teaching thing. I'd love to stand in front of a group of people and just 
exercise that gift that I feel like God has given to me. Well, went on and eventually did become a teacher. And uh, by the way, she was right about the money. Um, But having said that, it's been a thrill of a life. I mean, it's been a thrill of a life. Now, it morphed into something different because when I was in seminary, I remember seeing a professor, and he actually came to town. I had the chance to spend some time with him in Wilmore, Kentucky. I was his liaison because he was in town speaking at the great Ichthus event, which is a huge thing. But uh, I got to be his liaison. So I got a vision for, man, I wonder if I could be something like him. Could I speak like him? Could I write like him? Could I rise to the top of the evangelical world like him? Well, not all those things appear, I can tell you right now. But I got a vision for what my life might be like, and from that moment on, it ordered my life. I started doing things to make that dream come true. And it meant what I was going to study. It meant how many degrees I had to get. It meant the kind of choices I make when I finally made choices uh, for my vocational career. I mean, it just started to envelop that way. And the whole point is, your future has more to do with your life today than does your past. And so, Anna and Simeon. It says, now, Moy had a little bit different translation. I didn't quite catch the words. But in my translation, it says, Simeon was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Now, that Greek word could mean Simeon was ready to receive the consolation of Israel. Or it might be he was hoping for the consolation of Israel. I like this one best, perhaps. He was waiting for because as you've heard from this pulpit before, waiting for meant with great expectation. I'm looking for something to walk through that door someday, and it did one day. He was looking forward to it, and it happened. But that ordered Simeon's life ever since he got a vision that someday the Messiah would walk through those doors. It ordered how he lived his life. And the same thing happened to Anna thing with Anna was, once she found out about this Jesus, once she found out about this Messiah, she started telling other people who were also looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And so this whole looking forward thing is powerful. And I mean, I think it's really powerful. So powerful, I want to speak to you of it today because I think it could order our lives well. There was a guy named Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl went to Auschwitz. Now, if you know anything about World War II and the German concentration camps, Auschwitz was the worst. They stuck people in there and got them ready to die, and then they incinerated them. It's horrible. But having said that, he made it through Auschwitz. And while he was there, he had been trained under Freud. He was a psychologist and been trained under Freud. And Freud had taught him basically this. You are who you are today because of your past. You are who you are today because of what has happened to you in your past. And i got to tell you, folks, there's a lot that have happened in our past that makes us who we are today. That is true as far as it goes. But Frankel started noticing something. He started noticing that there were some people who were dying. Now, obviously, when you're incinerated, you're going to die. But that's not what Frankel was finding. He says those people that never went through the incinerator, they were giving up some of them and dying. And there were others who said, no, we're not going to die. We're going to hang on. We're going to hang on because we believe something. The ones who were dying thought Hitler's going to win this thing. 
The Germans are going to win. This is going to be our life. There's no way out of here. We may as well die. And they did. Many of them just gave it up and died. Frankel started noticing, however, that there were some people who made it through the experience. They made it through the experience, and he started putting his analytical powers to mind to say, what's the difference between those who die and those who seem to live through this? And the ones who lived through it seem to think this. These guys are going down. We don't know how. We believe there's a God, and God's going to bring these people down. We're going to make it through. And they hung on to life. And so Frankel rejected Freud, became what you'd call neo-Freudian, and basically said, hey, it's not your past that makes you who you are today. It's your future. And that's why I would love to say, hey, listen, Dayspring, this year, let's look forward. Let's look forward to see what kind of future can we envision for our lives together and let that future order us. And if we do that, this is going to be a great year. If we're stuck in the past, and by the way, the last couple of years, it's a bad past. Now, I say bad past. i got to be honest with you. been the best two years of my uh, professional life. Now, not church-wise so much, uh, although we've had some good times here. God has moved. But I'm going to say best years as far as my seminary is concerned, and I am more fulfilled today. I am giddy about the future. I am thrilled with what Jesus has seen to be doing. But having said that, It's been tough on a lot of people. I don't want the past, particularly the last two years, to get us so down we can't think about a glorious, wonderful, beautiful, prosperous future. The best is yet to come. It doesn't matter your age. The best is yet to come. It doesn't matter your predicament. The best is yet to come because we're looking forward to that best. Now, let me get back to this, this whole psychoanalysis thing. A guy named Hans Eisenick did a study. Uh, he'd done with a group of troubled people. And he says, uh, we're going to take these people through the whole psychoanalysis thing and some other things as well to see does psychoanalysis really work. And remember now, psychoanalysis is basically a depth anal- analysis of the past in order to understand the impact on current dilemmas. So let's look at the past to see how that makes us who we are today and try to help people out of that past. Now, y'all, I'm just going to tell you straight up, sometimes that's necessary. You need to understand your past. But you can't get stuck there. And too often, that's what psychoanalysis does to us. Gets us stuck in the past. And so, this is what happened. Uh, Hans Eisenick took his people through and these troubled people, and he found out that those who sought help through psychoanalysis, about 44% of them showed some substantial improvement within a year. 44%. So it works to some extent. Then he took some people through some psychotherapy, and it showed that psychotherapy was better than psychoanalysis because 64% showed improvement within a year. So apparently what he was finding out is psychotherapy is better than psychoanalysis, but then he found out this. To those people who went to no one at all, 72% of them got better within the year. So going to nobody is better than going to psychotherapy. Going to nobody is better than going to psychoanalysis. Now, I'll say it straight up. Sometimes we need counseling. And we need to recognize this. 
helpful. Now, I've heard it from you, some of you. Shelly does uh, this for us, and we have talked through issues, and she has helped us with issues with this uh, personal counseling that she does. And so that's, that's a real quick throw out there. If you need help, we've got some counseling, and we want to help you here at Dayspring. But having said that, what our counseling can't do is get us stuck in our past because our best days haven't been, they are yet to come. Now you're thinking, well, how is that scriptural? Well, over and over again, the Bible looks and says, hey, look at what God has done in the past. But inevitably, it will say, therefore, look at what he's going to do in the future. And I, you can take this through. We're going to take four instances right now. In Genesis, the Lord says, hey, not enough people around here. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, that was, you know, I mean, biologically, let's, let's make some people. And uh, he had a process through which that was done. Uh, it's still the same process, okay? I mean, you, you get married and you have people. So that, that's the whole thing. And, and, and so I want you to know it's important, and that was all a future thing, is your life is going to be substantially ordered by having more people come through your lives. That was a future orientation. Then there was this in Genesis 12. He says, now, Abram, I want to make of you a great nation. We don't know a lot about Abram. We suspect he was worshiping a moon god at the time when Jehovah, when Yahweh broke in. And when Yahweh broke in, he says, all right, we need to forget this moon god. And I also want you to forget some other things, like your family. And I want you to leave them. And by the way, Abram knew what that meant at that point. It meant, I, I want you to leave your inheritance. I want you to leave everything you're comfortable with. I want you to leave what you thought your next six, seven, eight decades were going to be like, and I want you to go. He says, where? None of your business. I want you to go. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. And I will bless all the other nations of this world through you. Are you crazy enough, Abram, to do that? And Abram had to say, yeah. And Abram did say, yeah, and there they go. And so that was the second pericope. First one, be fruitful, multiply. Second one, leave your family. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Then Jesus comes along eventually and says, follow me, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you more than you ever dreamed that you could be. I will mold you. I will transform you into being extraordinary for this kingdom. And so, those guys, one by one, had to say, yeah. And by the way, some of them said no. We, we can't forget some of them said no. I suspect a lot more than we know about even through the Gospels. They just said, ah, it's too big of a price to pay. But some of them were crazy enough to say, I'm going to leave my current situation. I'm going to follow you around. And then at the end of that process, Jesus said the fourth passage we're going to talk about, and that is, I want you to go now and make disciples. I've just made you in the last three years. I want you to go, and for the next several decades of your life, I want you to make disciples of the nations. I want you to go everywhere and do this very thing I've been doing with you. So, just some quick keys today on how we could better look forward. Number one. We need to look forward, not for ourselves, but for Jesus. Most of us make New Year's resolutions saying, this is what I want to be. 
Instead of saying, this is what Jesus wants me to be, and I'm going to transform my life this year by His grace to be what He wants me to be. I think we need to have Jesus in the center of that conversation. Resolutions for Him, not resolutions for ourselves. And I think that's where a lot of us go wrong because we put self right at the center of our resolutions. Self right at the center of our looking forward. Now, first thing he asks us to do, according to Genesis, is I want you to be fruitful. Now, uh, this, this is going to step on a couple toes, and I'm sorry. I say I'm sorry. Um, y'all, people aren't having enough babies. We need people to have more babies. You say, well, no, no, our, our world can't handle it. Our world can't take it. Listen, they're about ready to come to crisis point, including in America, because we've all decided the fewer babies are the best thing. I don't know how you can call yourself pro-life by saying we're going to limit the number of babies God might want to give through us. I just will tell you straight up, there's, I mean, it's hard, I get it. Some of us would like to have babies and can't, and that is hard, hard, hard. But having said that, let's go ahead and admit when God says be fruitful and multiply, I like the contemporary English version that says have lots of kids. And I think we need to be wide open to saying we want to encourage kids in our lives. I, uh, I remember uh, when we announced Caleb was uh, coming into our world. Oh, the family was so thrilled. Oh, woo! We announced it, and there's there's great rejoicing. Then we announced Joshua's coming. Oh, this is great too. Then we announced Elijah was coming. Oh, oh. Then we announced uh, there was a a girl that seemed to be on her way. Oh, well, good girl. You got to get a girl. <laughs> Last two guys. Hey, we got a fifth one coming. Oh. And they wanted to say it, but they just couldn't, you know. Do you know what causes this, you know? And, and by the way, yes, we do, and we like it, okay? I was, we just, yeah, we know, we know. And then the sixth one, right? Isaiah. It wasn't, it wasn't astonishment, it wasn't nothing. It was just like deadpan. Mm. I mean, my own family. I've always said I wish we'd have had a couple more. I've always said, it'd be great to have seven or eight kids. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but what would the family have done then? Start booing? Boo, come on. What are you doing? You're overpopulating the world. Y'all, I still think God says it. Have lots of kids. I think we need to do it. Have lots of kids. Now, having said that, some of us aren't in that position. And let's go ahead and admit this then. Then if it doesn't have a biological truth for us, then it ought to have a spiritual truth. And that is, he wants us to invite people to the kingdom and disciple them. To invite them into a church that will disciple them. Invite them into a place where they can flourish for the glory of God. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply. Second thing is this, getting down to Genesis 12. We need to look forward this year to being made into a blessing. Remember, he said to Abram, I want you to tear off here from this moon god and from your family, and I want to create of you a great nation that will be a blessing for all the nations. Now, Jesus may will ask you to do something crazy this year, and he wants you to do this that crazy so that you can be a blessing, not for yourself, but for others. 
The biggest problem I have with the so-called prosperity gospel is it's all about you. And the prosperity gospel, we ought to believe in it, by the way. I believe in prosperity. But I believe prosperity comes to us for others. God wants to do an amazing thing through you into other people's lives. I love what Richard Foster says about this. He says, God needs some radical people that really aren't so radical. It's just kind of, this ought to be the norm. Where he can give $250,000 to you one day to know that the next day he's got a purpose for that $250,000 that he wants to just let you loose on. That is, you receive it one day, and instead of doing what so many of us attempted to do, hey, I think I'll tithe on that. Yeah, I'll be nice to God and tithe on that money. Instead of thinking tithe, think all of it. All of it belongs to God. I don't know why he gave me this quarter million dollars, but maybe he gave this quarter million dollars so that I can use it for his purposes into the world somewhere. Y'all, that's the kind of thing we're talking about when we're talking about crazy. It's not the way that so many churches would suggest to you how to do it. It's not the way the world suggests to you how to do it. It's the way Jesus wants you to operate. Your life is not your life. Now, let's try that again. Thank you for the three amens. Let's try that again. Your life is not your life. Your money is not your money. Your kids are not your kids. Well, yes and no, okay, but yeah. You get where we're going with this. At the end of the day, all that we've got is for the purposes of God, not for you. So if we believe in the prosperity gospel, let's believe it that way. God, bless me so that I can bless others, not with a 10% tithe check, but with everything I've got. I want to give and give and give this year. I want to be a blessing to others. And then this, we need to be looking forward not just to more fruitfulness, not just to being made a blessing, but look forward to be continually transformed. That's what we mean. Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you. Now, when disciples were called, life transformation began in earnest, and it was not easy. They were challenged at points that they didn't want to be challenged at. I mean, you got to admit, it's a challenge to say, hey, we know what the rule is around here. If the Romans come up, and some big guy, centurion guy on a horse, says, hey, carry this for me. And they were supposed to be, by law, carry it one mile. He says, when that happens, Jesus says, don't go within one mile. Say, hey, at the end of that mile, can I do this another mile? This is kind of fun. Go within two miles. If a man slaps you on the right cheek, oh, hang on. Can I just apologize in advance for this? I know we're from the South, we're from a gun culture, we're from a real man culture here. At some point in your life, you're a pacifist. At some point in your life, you're a pacifist. That is, you can take it on the right cheek and you can turn to him the other also because he told you to do so. Do you want to? No. Is it the Southern thing to do? No. Is it the freedom thing to do? Absolutely not. Is it the Jesus thing to do? Yes. And they think, I don't know about that. I can't think of the episode where getting slapped on the right cheek would mean, I don't know, I don't think that, I don't know. That's the, that's the kind of transforming he was doing. 
He was changing lives by saying, listen, I'm going to go into the very areas where you had the most pride and the most selfishness going on, and I'm going to challenge you to the very core. And you've got to decide, do I live for me now or do I live for him? Looking forward to be sent in a fresh way. Quick review. We look forward to more fruitfulness. We look forward to being made into a blessing. We look forward to be continually transformed, particularly the places where perhaps we don't even want to be transformed. And then we look forward to being sent in a fresh way. Jesus calls you to change your world. He says, go and make disciples. I don't know who did it. I, I kind of forget. If it was one of you, I apologize for not knowing. But I saw it on New Year's Eve. Kind of a cool time to see it. It's over on our... Uh, uh, I mean, forget what that's called. Anyway, this wooden thing that stands over by the side of our kitchen. Bureau, maybe? Anyway, let's call it a bureau. And uh, right there, it was a plate. It was Catherine Booth's quote. And I prayed this prayer over my kids over and over and over. It's not so much a prayer as a parental admonition. I would cup their little face just like Catherine Booth used to do, and look down at them and say, Sweetheart, you've not been sent here for yourself. You've been sent here for others. The world is waiting for you. In other words, this life is to be a blessing to other people. And wouldn't it be great if we could look forward to a year this year where we were sent in a fresh way to change our world. Go, he says, and make disciples. And make them in such a way that the world around you starts changing because of that. I, uh, one of the great things about New Year's Eve for us was just the chance to look up and see the number of lives that have been changed in the last several years because of this church and our daughter church. And you just look around saying, whoa, how cool is this? A lot of these lives here were lost, hopeless, suicidal, in jail. And today they're walking with freedom. It's pretty cool. And then you look around saying, man, God, you've done this. Praise be the Lord. I just want to end up with this. And I added this because I couldn't find it in the text. I wanted to add it anyway. This is what you call eisegesis. Exegesis is, what does the text say? Let me go ahead and preach from the text, which I have done dutifully this morning. This, not so much. I couldn't help but include Revelation. In chapter 21, and and Cade was saying something that brought this to mind on New Year's Eve. We look forward to the culmination. We look forward to the apex of all history. We look forward when time is no more. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And y'all, I've heard it said that the problem with America is that we live in heaven. We got so many comforts now, who would want this to end? And I thought about that. You know, this is substantially true. They can't have better air conditioning in heaven than we got in Mississippi. I mean, think of that chairs you're resting on right now. Although it's not awesome chairs. I mean, you're going to get in a car and take yourself home. I mean, maybe they have beam me up technology in heaven, but the car you get in today is going to be a pretty cool ride home. Admit it. 
Who would want to leave this? We're in heaven. And then you get a couple years like we've had, where you stumble a little bit, and you think, oh, oh, boy, that's what, that's what real life's like. Yeah, that's what real life's like, except about ten times worse for most of the world. And you can imagine why someone who hasn't eaten in the last four days, not because they were fasting, because they didn't have any food, and they're looking up to heaven and crying out to Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, I want you to come. That's a different kind of yearning. Even so, Caleb says these verses ought to be verses that we have memorized, that we ought to get memorized for this year. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Woo! Let's look forward to that. Let's look forward to Revelation 21. No more crying, no more pain, no more hunger, no more cancer, no more COVID, no more getting fired from your job. Are you kidding me? Let's look forward to that heaven. But it's a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, so Simeon and Anna were looking forward to Jesus showing up. For us, he's already shown up. So what we get to do is say, now, Jesus, you're already in my life. I look forward now for you doing a deeper work in me and through me this year. Anybody want to look forward that will have more to do with who you are today than your past? My old pastor, Keith Tonkel, used to say, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but the hardest one is hope. And that was a congregation, not a lot unlike ours, that have had some troubling pasts, some tough pasts. Now, what he was saying was, you need grace to make hope come alive. I think it's the same way with waiting. Same way with receiving, same way for looking forward. Some of us need grace to look forward. Can you receive that grace today? That we might look forward. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.